0: Welcome to growth untold the podcast where we dive into thoughtful conversations and insightful discussions with world class people all with the aim of inspiring educating and empowering our listeners. We are thrilled to have you here with us on this
1: exciting journey to explore the diverse stories and the ideas that have the power to shape the world for the
0: better. Welcome to growth untold the podcast. Today, we're
1: fortunate enough to be speaking to the siblings Peter Wong and Sophia Wong-Judish. Peter Wong is a seasoned entrepreneur and leader with over two decades of experience in the space. As the CEO of Tradish, Peter is reshaping the culinary landscape with his innovative community-based platform. Peter's journey has led him to several successful exits and remarkable achievements. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you for having me.
2: He made you sound really cool there, by the way. Yeah. I hope mine sounds as cool. I just didn't have an edit. You got got,
1: got to wait for your introduction. Here we go. Okay. Our second guest, we have Sophia Wong-Judish, a true global powerhouse, having made her mark across not one, not two, not three, but four countries. Sophia's career includes roles such as VP and country manager of Ulta Beauty, as well as leadership positions at Carters and Esprit. Now... Sophia is the president of Tommy Hilfiger North America.
0: Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks. Thanks for that having me. Bad. I know that was pretty good. <laughs> I like the powerhouse good. part. <laughs> house that house good. was good. That's it's
0: amazing. all about the the nouns, and yeah, the <laughs> exactly, and exactly. the
2: adjectives.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for for yeah, coming no, to the show. For it's us. it's rare that we have such uh, two accomplished siblings come on the show. But wh- I think we want to start off with the obvious question here. Like, did you, what was in the water? that you guys drank growing up, <laughs> right? You guys are such incredibly successful individuals. I don't know. Do you want to start?
2: <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's, um, number one, I don't think we feel, we were just talking about this, like we don't feel successful, right? So maybe that's the key is that you feel like you constantly have to keep reaching and challenging. But I do think, you know, um, Peter and I talk about this a lot, about the immigrant story, which we know is a very a very quintessential Canadian story of seeing your, I think there's something to be said when you see your parents struggle, where where typically you're used to to seeing your parents sort of be the role model and so forth. And they were our role models, but they were our role models when it came to working really hard and striving and, and wanting more. And so I do think there's something about that piece of it that I think has shaped both Peter and I, where we felt like um, we need, needed to do right by our parents' struggle and be successful and, and try the best we we could, right? With all opportunities given. I don't know, would you say that? Yeah,
3: every immigrant I think goes through this typical story. Yeah, um, ours, yeah. I don't think ours is like tremendously different, other than the fact that like you and I've lived it, right? So yeah, we've gone through. The... I mean, we
2: grew up in Rexdale. And I, th- it was, it, you, look, you had to learn how you to get, fight. You get, and you, yeah, you
3: get your stripes so when you talking about Rexdale. It was
2: tough. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah but, tough. It, but it's funny. Shout out like, to Rexdale. I don't want to be criticizing Rexdale, but it was tough. I mean, that was <laughs> like. To Rexdale. Yeah. Bundermont Avenue,
0: actually. So yeah. Can you whenever... give us a decade? Like, when was this? Yeah,
2: 1970s. Late 70s? Yeah, Late 70s. My parents yeah. Um, moved from Atlanta. So they moved from South Korea. Um, in the 60s, to which was weird. They went to Atlanta, Georgia in the US. Wow. So I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I know. was born in Atlanta as well. Yeah. And, and, then and we came then here when we were came, one years old. Yeah, I came I, here when I
3: was one. Yeah, so it was and I was like five.
2: And we, my parents didn't have a lot. So they actually showed up at Rexdale, Bergamon Avenue. And it was
3: public housing. Public housing. Uh, and housing.
2: Really, really tough. Right. And yeah. the only, I would say, I was about to say Asian family yeah, there, but much. it was the only, we're the only family of color like we're the only family of color right so um that probably kind of shapes a little bit of the whole thing of wanting more and knowing that you you need to get out of your circumstance and I, i i would say that's how how we felt right yeah
3: we we grew up with very scrappy parents and it was the type of thing where our i guess dad was always kind of working and mom was trying her best to work while at the same time take care of us. Yeah. So I, I can honestly say it was like that was probably a very tough circumstance because I was kind of raised by you guys, right? You and Teresa.
2: Yeah, which is so. crazy because I'm not responsible. Trust me. Like, <laughs> been, so, yeah. yeah. So
0: are you are you the, young, like, you have yeah. two older sisters? Yes. Yeah. So, so you're like me. Yeah. You're like me. I have two older sisters. There you go. And they um, take care of yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't sisters. know that. Oh, yeah, all of us. That's crazy. <laughs> this
2: is why, this this is my, why there's oh this connection. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's, uh, I always feel like, it's almost like you strive to succeed to, to justify your parents' struggle. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they left everything they knew. Like, my parents, I know they could have probably had a better life for themselves in Egypt, but yeah. they chose to immigrate to have a better life for us, right. and it's almost like you strive to to just justify th- their struggle, to be like, this didn't all it's go so to true. vain, like, I'm going to yeah. do the best that I can do. Um, so how was your upbringing, and I'll start with you, Peter, in the sense of like, your journey, like, did you know that entrepreneurship, VCs, that's what you wanted to do when you were younger, or how did you no. come get to it?
3: <clears throat> no, not at all. So, so going back to the parents, like, our parents were first generation immigrants here, but they were university educated. So it's very, it's very, very typical immigrant story where they come here, and this is back in the seventies, right? So there's no Uber or fractional gig work to transfer your education here. So it was like very much they settled. They settled for, and it's a very typical Korean stereotype, but they owned a convenience store. They worked in a factory, and they bought a Baskin-Robbins. And I actually remember that day pretty vividly. I was, I don't know, I was like eight, maybe yeah, seven. But yeah. I remember my father being so proud because it was like almost his way to have freedom to provide for the family.
2: And, and when you say about the pr- the pride, he was wearing, and at that time, you know, the uniforms changed. It was the Baskin-Robbins, like, str- like ice cream colored stripes uniform that he was like putting on. And showing such pride of wearing it and, like it could make me emotional thinking yeah, about for it sure. because he was it, it was a signal of he was his own. He, uh. But
3: I wouldn't even go back further from that. So they basically, I remember there's this picture that he had, they had where they had this orientation, business orientation, where everyone, all the new franchisee owners would come. And in that picture, my dad was the only one wearing a suit. Everyone else was, like, had golf yeah, shirts in. It, show you that. Well, it was because it was, like, for him, it was, like, the proudest moment of his life, almost nope. to, to start this new chapter of his life. And, uh, I don't know, I hate to say it, but it... It,
2: it probably didn't... It
3: fades really quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because yeah, it's the whole premise of behind, and I get, I'm going to talk about it later on, but retail, food, hospitality, it's just a freaking hard life, right? It's so, a grind. It's a grind. Yeah. So, I think from the perspective of, like, losing the luster, so to speak, is that he just learned pretty quickly that it was... Yeah, it's that, a hard that, way to make money. It is yeah, a hard way to make money, and you have to eat a lot of humble pie and realize that everything you thought, you know, was your, like, for lack of a better term, your next chapter in life that would pave the way for you, like, in your ideal state, is not necessarily that.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, we, we talk about this a little bit, but, you know, uh, when I booked Aladdin um, you know, everybody thought that that was it. Like I was going to become a millionaire overnight that there was no going back. There was no looking back. It was like, this is it. Like he's, yeah. he's done. And you realize very quickly that you're like, Oh man, I've got more work to do than I thought I ever would at this stage. You know, because I, I, I think that's something about being ambitious is that you kind of, you get to where you want to go and then you've already set like five or six goals after that like before right. you even get to your first goal you're like yeah i already know like my next three four goals like i've already got to get and those are even harder and those yeah. are even further away right. so now i got to hustle even more and my dad was a satellite engineer too and came to canada and that all went away he he had to deliver pizzas work at a factory to yeah. to right. take care of his you know kids and his wife so so i i understand all that so but but so then you saw your dad doing this growing mm-hmm. up And you decided i want to go into food or what was that no not
3: at all so i it's funny because i remember they did the typical like i'm going to move my family out of the projects into a very affluent area you know and so we moved to one of the most affluent areas in mississauga and at the time it was the most humble smallest house in mississauga very very white caucasian neighborhood so i went from like literally living in the projects to like, literally hanging out with nothing but white kids my entire life. Like, literally, like, all the way up to high school. So, and again, that's probably the, you know, the one thing you got to thank them for. And I think you probably, you and I have this, like, almost tra- trauma a little, <laughs> a little bit around it. Because they sacrificed a lot for us. But in the same respect, um, we saw the struggles that they had. And I I was just, you know, like I said, I was surrounded. I was always the most, um, I was You were always,
2: that- like, the. You were tough, I was right? Tough, you were but, like... I, I, but
3: I was tough because, like, I was forced into tough situations. Right. Like, I was the only minority in my group growing up. Always, so I just I got in fights all the time. Eating right?
0: different food.
3: That and, and that, and that this is, is, this is that's yeah. a whole other topic that we can discuss. Like, yeah. I remember, yeah, being the kid that would bring in Korean food. Which and is like,
2: let's just say, shout out to Korean food now because it's like super popular like, and everyone cares I mean, about like, like they like it now. And kimchi's and, like kimchi cool; and, and it's Costco, fermented right? and it's good for you. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. cool like when in yeah. the '80s. Let's just say that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I
3: get it. Yeah, yeah. So it, I get in fights just on that alone, right? So it's like, anyway, I, th- I think going back to the whole food commentary, it wasn't so much the food I was looking to start a business around. It was just the scrappiness around like food entrepreneurs. So we saw our parents struggle. I saw my parent, and my dad struggle. I saw my mom struggle. They both worked there twenty like twenty four seven. If I wasn't working in the business, it was like trying to figure out how to you know survive in the business. So they worked twenty five years, three hundred sixty five days. I think the hours were like ten a.m. to ten p.m. like literally every day. And they, my dad went, went in at Christmas time too, right, to make cakes. So it was like there wasn't any family vacations. There wasn't any no. dinners and stuff yeah. like that. It was just a. It was just I'm, I'm not gonna try to say it was a hard hard life to the extent of like we got to where we we need to get to but we just saw the sacrifices that they made yeah so going around the entire entrepreneurial side of the business like i've had you know multiple different startups but tradition very specifically around food is more trying to solve the problem for food entrepreneurs and the struggle of that small subscale which i think
2: probably is the most meaningful business you've 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 created right
3: yeah it's the only one that i really have where i deliberately and intentionally said there's a problem here. I saw my parents go through it. We saw our parents go through it. And if there's anything, any industry that I know has problems that we can potentially have a solution for, this is it.
0: Well, it sounds very, very personal to you. So explain what is Tradish and, and what are you trying to do? Like, I read up a little bit on it, um, but I didn't totally get it, to be honest. It sounds like, it's like is it like Cisco the big player in this space? Like, what are you trying to do with Tradish? What, what, what problem does it solve?
3: Yeah, no, the biggest problem that we have is like every... And use my parents as an example, but every small subscale food entrepreneur, it's very difficult to run a business. Like start a business, run a business. Mm -hmm. Every small food operator is running single-digit margins, and this Mm -hmm. is back. Like this happened pre-COVID. Like even when COVID didn't exist, everyone was struggling to run a business. They're running single-digit margins because it was tough for labor costs. It was tough for bricks and mortar costs. It was tough for Um, just food costs in general. And then now COVID hits and three and a half million people are displaced, like 200,000 restaurants. And they were all small mom and pop restaurants that were closed down.
0: And is this Canada numbers or U.S.?
3: Those are are North American numbers, so Canada and the U.S. So you kind of saw this whole displacement. And as difficult as that was, the funny thing was you actually saw this almost emergence and a beautiful story happening where all these different food entrepreneurs are popping out of nowhere because they lost their jobs, they lost their livelihood, they lost their businesses but they're starting these gray market food operations. So they would like post their food on social media platforms whether the Instagram, Facebook marketplace, and it might've been like empanadas, that are homemade empanadas that were, they're selling out of their homes, but they had no tools or platform to do that, right? So almost, we initially started the platform as like, if I can create an operating system <clears throat> where any small scale food entrepreneur can run a profitable business, because food is very, very hard to do, then let's provide them the tools to do that. So let's provide a buying group, let's provide an e-commerce platform, let's provide marketing tools. So anything that would help them run a profitable business first and foremost, and then again, you know, provide them demand and provide them advertising and marketing for themselves. So the whole premise being was like, as opposed to having someone just jump into like our parents did, because our parents got literally a $200,000 loan back in the seventies to buy a Baskin Robbins, as opposed Mm -hmm. to taking that risk and then being trapped in your job and trapped in your life, like what can you do to essentially provide them almost like a stepping stone to do what they what their passion is, which is cook food, and then build a uh, build an operating system and a platform to do that.
0: So you sound like a one stop shop essentially. Like anyone starting a business, they can go on Trade Dish. They can try to source their food, or you guys help them source their food, their materials. You help them essentially scale the business slowly with with different kinds Absolutely. of resources. And then we
3: provide demand for them. It's almost like a, a marketplace where now we give them access to customers, marketing, content. So the whole premise, like food is such a beautiful thing it's a connector so everyone wants to tell their story but it's one thing to tell your story and sell your food but if you don't do it profitably then your passion wanes pretty quickly right so the whole premise being is like we're a technology platform but we're also a demand platform for everyone
1: to get access to new customers as well okay yeah i think from from my experience i remember that's where i first met you at it was it was at a conference and i think it was it was beautiful to hear the stories of each individual dish and not only that you provided a profile for people who were, their voices were unheard, their stories were per- perhaps unheard, and their, and their dishes were untasted. And it, that was some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life. And it's like this platform you're creating, you're like the positive Robin Hood.
0: <laughs> that's the that's, that,
1: that's vibe I'm getting, right? It's, you're not stealing, you're asking for investors yeah. and investing in the lives of the people who need that platform. Yeah. Right, And it's incredible because you've internalized the struggles, you've internalized the sacrifice. And many people, I feel like in numerous cases, you see the struggles of your parents and that reflects in a different, you externalize in a different way. But the way you both have internalized it and more, Sophia, I'd love to hear your story mm-hmm. later. But Peter, <laughs> like you've yeah. manifested it into this phenomenal business. And you know, that was whole,
3: a very unique experience. Like Sophia was the keynote closing. I, I was the opening for the dinner and it was like...
2: It and, felt like yeah, a magical it, night. It a like magical I, that's why I feel like even our connection when we met felt pretty magical. And that sounds yeah. like super corny and I am for sure. But I think all of that felt like it was meant to all come together and that energy and, and the energy when you came and approached me afterwards felt really authentic and, and just – Synergize. Right. So I think it was beautiful. That was a beautiful night for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And you don't ever have to worry about being corny. Mina, it takes. Uh, really? Corny Mina's corny? Instance. OK, good. <laughs> so
2: Mina <laughs> and I can hang out and be corny King, together. King, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I like corny. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, no, no, it's all good. But um, just for for the listeners here, uh, how, you know, Sophia and Peter and I met, I think it's through through a conference. And I remember Sophia had a fireside chat and it was just very inspirational to see how salt of the earth down to earth that you were. Um, You both were like you both have achieved so much success and it's made it made me emotional just watching it in the crowd saying like, holy crap, that could potentially be me one day uh, if I continue to work hard, if I continue to make the sacrifices. And so that's why I approached you not to ask of anything other than to pay you a compliment to say that you've inspired another soul. Um, oh, God, gosh. three people getting corny here yeah, now. Yeah, right? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Peter, you're up next, eh? I but, love it. But that's, uh, you know, I feel like that's where this conversation started. So again, we're really, really thankful that you made the time to come on the show. So, Sophia, would love to hear a little bit more about your journey. You, you know, you worked at Alta, you worked at Carter's, you worked at Esprit. It seems like there is a pattern here working in the retail and the fashion industries. So We'd love to hear where the genesis of yeah. all this came to be.
2: I mean, it happened by accident, which I think is kind of the beautiful thing, because I never expected to – I didn't have any aspirations to be sort of the president of Hudson's Bay, and so I think the way it started, I was – just a lame-ass 16-year-old who thought I wanted to work at Le Chateau. Do you guys know Le Chateau? Oh my gosh, I used to buy my <laughs> suits from Le Chateau. Here. I try to remind people that it used to be it cool. Is cool. At a, is, so I don't cool. even know if it's around anymore, is it? I, I don't think I, I it don't is. Know. There's,
0: there's probably like one location left. Yeah, I used to definitely buy my dress shirts from there. They had like right. nice Absolutely. turquoise uh, oh. striped, kind of like this, but in a dress shirt, like, stri- yes. like bright colors. I totally oh, yeah. remember Le Chateau. Thank <laughs> you.
2: And so I, I wanted to work at Le Chateau, and I got approached by the manager and I was a sales associate at a high school oh. working in retail and I loved it. And in some ways, I think we talked about this. In some ways, you know, my parents did not like it. I mean, they didn't want me and I know many like retail I, in
3: general, but yeah, like, they did Yeah, yeah there were sure.
2: this idea of working in a store. I mean, yeah. um, you know, I think that they thought that they wanted more from for me, just like me. And I think you and I talked about career choices and they didn't feel like they understood the path to get to stability and Mm. they could see I was working on weekends. And so I do think there was this level of they just, it wasn't what they hoped for me. But for myself, I loved it. I I loved working with customers. I loved clothes and apparel. And so I think there was this level of feeling like I didn't know what else to do. So I did that because I really liked it, not thinking it was going to turn into a career. So Mm -hmm. in some ways, Um, It's great the way it turned out. And I I think that the level to which I approach everything is very much like it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like it's not a feigned like trying to be humble about it. It truly is. I don't think anything's a big deal. And I think that, um, although yours is a big deal, I promise you (laughs) when I say that, I feel like generally speaking that I think there is this level of when you take things way too seriously, I think you put too much pressure on them. And I also think there's this level of external sort of validation that you try to receive from something that is labeled a certain way. And I think for me, I just, I don't think a lot of what we do is a big deal. And I think it's fleeting, and it can change. But it so happens that I really like retail, and I ended up being pretty good at it. And so that's where I feel very lucky to, mm-hmm. to have Done something that i think i'm good at and i and i like a lot so
0: what well, wait so what happened you started working at les Chateau. i'm gonna drink some of my gin yeah. my yeah, dharma gin go oh, so go. good
2: <laughs> <Wow>.
0: <laughs> uh, dharma gin we have the best indian dry gin so good <laughs> uh, not available no, in canada no legit though. it's very good it's yeah. Thank yeah. you. thank you yeah so you started working at les Chateau. that kind of showed you that you loved retail and yeah. you wanted to go down this path but how did you get to you know let, let, higher. let me let me Okay. People,
2: he's, okay no, so, he's gonna. He's, he's, <laughs> no, like, he's gonna. He's gonna slam the, air, me now. No, I'm not gonna slam everything. Okay.
3: The <laughs> rise. You know how they have some of them are meteoric rises, or meteor like, is it meteoric we're like a what, yeah, a like great. very yeah, fast. Yeah. 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 Yours was one of those where everyone thought you're almost perpetually going to be in retail, yeah. because you worked at retail, retail, retail on a, from a sales perspective. Yeah. And then it was one of those like she went overseas and all of a sudden like. All bets off. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like the unleashing of Sophia to say, "Okay, I'm I'm not only going to another country, but I'm actually going to p- pay my own way." Where I don't think anyone saw it coming. Yeah, no, like, you're, you're, I mean, you're, certainly you're, you're nobody in replies. my family. So
2: that's his way of saying that nobody expected no, me to be successful. <laughs> like, oh, Particularly
3: in Canada, it was one of those things that you, you were yeah. successful. Yeah. Not that, not that. I'm, <laughs> no, sales no, 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 yeah. yeah,
2: and are, I and then I worked in level. in like I was a, a store manager, and so I I, I thought I was going to stay in operations, store mm-hmm. operations. And then I, I took an opportunity overseas and then from there I just thought I'm going to take every opportunity and go for it. And I do think that's part of it when you're kind of almost out of the environment that kind of holds you in place.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: think there's this level and that's why I always encourage people to say, "How do, how do you stay and ask for what you need in any work environment or any environment or relationship and so forth? And if you can't get that, then I think it's right. Re- you know, you need to understand when it's time to move on, right? Yeah. So I think that moving on, and whether it be physically of moving to a different market, enabled me to say, okay, I'm now going to do what I want to do, and I don't care of how people thought of me in the past or in in how they kind of pigeonholed me in a certain space, and I'm just going to go for it, right? So that's what yeah. I mean about almost not caring as much, right? Just going for it and and not being mired by this notion of people's ex- expectations. Because Peter's right. I mean, and he, he was trying to say it in a nice way. My family didn't expect me to be successful. Oh, it came out of nowhere. Okay, now came he makes there. me say, now I'm starting to get insulted. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, I feel yeah. like he's being mean now. Is he? Like, your absence he's like, like, she was a loser. <laughs> and so...
3: But you're 15 years departed, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like 15 years overseas yeah. where it's like, we just knew there's a role that Sophia's taking. And we're like, huh, that's kind of crazy. Here's another role, and and, and, and fifteen years pass, and we're like, okay, she's pretty much restructured and worked in every single country, yeah. to be one of the lead project managers and country managers for a Spree, which is like, and no one, no one saw it coming, but it just happened, like. But I think that's lifespan. the
2: beauty of that, and that's what I was trying to say when, when you have almost no expectations on you, then you just you can go for it, right? And Do you feel that way? Yeah, and yeah. sometimes
0: like so. You know, for for the actors and artists listening out there, uh, Toronto's known to be kind of has a very low ceiling for for artists. You can only go yeah. f- so far here. So when I went to I went to theater school for four years, then I worked at a restaurant waiting tables for three, just trying to save up money to go to L.A. And you know, you I had to spend like ten thousand dollars getting my O one visa, and then you get to L.A. with your O one visa, and you can't do anything else but act. Like you can't get a serving job because you're right. not allowed. Right. But When I left Toronto, which I felt had a stranglehold on me, and I went somewhere where nobody knew who I was, there was no expectations because everybody's there to do what I'm doing. That's when I started to take off because it's almost, and I had gotten out of a four-year relationship. Right. And so I felt kind of...
2: I feel like y- you're giving me. a shout out to your, your girlfriend saying you're, you're the reason why, right? You're new, like, uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, everything it's, changed for you, it's, right? It's this idea of yeah.
0: going somewhere new yeah. where you're just going, screw it. I'm just going to start over again. This is what sounds, happened to you. You just went overseas and you started just building, building, I, I building, I actually building. think
2: there's a beauty in starting over. But that's what I mean. Like every, I think a lot of people stay comfortable because it is, to your point, very easy to stay in the rhythm and being comfortable and um let's be honest as, as humans I think we inherently don't mm-hmm. like change. Yeah. But the moment that you're able to start over is the moment that you give yourself permission to say, okay, all bets are off. I don't I i I'm not weighted by what you my, my brother obviously thinking I'm a loser. Um oh, or this level of, oh, Sophie can only do this or right. Mina can only do this uh, in acting. And now it's like, no, I can I can do whatever I want and we'll yeah. see. Right, no, and I'll show like we, you.
3: We knew.
2: So everyone, he's trying to backtrack everyone, now. No, 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 everyone, no. no, no. Yeah. Yeah, you
3: have to understand his like personality. Everyone, like, okay, so how tall are you? Like five one. Like, <laughs> yeah. She beat the shit out of me. Like growing up, I learned how to fight because, <laughs> you know, like, literally, <laughs> literally. So it's like the, the the spiciness, the aggressiveness, everything about her personality. Like we, we all knew she was destined for greatness in some way. She performed. We just didn't know how it was going to come. So that, that's why it was almost like the departure when you, when you left. Yeah, it was almost like you're flying out of the nest because you left. No one had any expectations other than the fact that okay, she's probably going to figure it out some way, shape, or form, and sure enough, you did, right? So, yeah. so it's like I, I, I don't. I'm not even sure it, it was a surprise by anyone. It was more just the fact that it, it happened. 15 years is a long period. Of yeah, time, that is not meteoric. Me- meteoric. I know, but rise. it happened so quickly. So when you came back, it was like okay, what just happened? This is like crazy. Like the rebirth, and you know of, yeah. of what you've created, and yeah. all of a sudden it, everything just basically. You vibrated everything into your life, and everything happened so quickly after that, right? So all the different things that happened when you came back to came back home. I I kind of want to,
2: yeah. I want to ask for you, Mina. It feels like yours was a meteoric rise, and I'm sure it wasn't for you because you were like, "It needs to come yesterday." Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was in a
0: way. I mean, I moved to LA in January of 2017. By March, I had booked Jack Ryan with John Krasinski. I had a small role in that. But I
2: feel like that's but, still really uh, great.
0: Yeah, and I, I you know, my, my our listeners know this, but Jack Ryan was the reason they even saw my tape for Aladdin because they saw that I had booked Jack Ryan. They were like, "Who's this guy?" Um, and by July, I had booked Aladdin. But here's the thing: I, I'm a big believer that life. Energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred. I, I believe in that law of physics wholeheartedly. I do too. And I also believe that life is like a graph. So because it was meteoric, you know, it, it also came down hard after Aladdin. Right. And,
2: but right. can I just say how proud we were of you as a Cana- Canadians? We were all just like, yes! Thank you. Right? <laughs> it's how we feel about Samu, right? Like, it's oh, like, yeah. yes! But... But that's what life is. Right. So this idea of staying. And I think that's kind of what we all grapple with. This idea of staying up here is ridiculous. And quite frankly, you wouldn't appreciate the up here if you didn't have the down there. And so that's what it is. Exactly. And
0: I think the higher you climb, the harder you fall. But then it's about getting up and and it's about building. Right. Even if it takes time, even, even if it takes some years. I want to come back to you. could tell
2: I was trying to deflect and like <laughs> ask you a question, but yes. No, no this is great. Yeah. I love being asked
0: questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to come back to this, but I do want to take the time to ask you about something a little non-related, which which I think is interesting. South Korean culture in mm-hmm. Hollywood now Gosh. has taken Crazy. off. Crazy. I mean, first of all, incredible artists. It's funny that you no. say
2: because I don't it, Hollywood, but it's also like just. Culture, yeah, Like yeah, beauty, yeah. K sure. beauty is just well, huge, right? Let's, and, well, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that
0: because it's. I mean, Squid Game, Parasite. Oh, gosh! But yeah. also learning so about your true. culture is yeah. so interesting now, and the whole world is is yeah. learning about it. So tell us a little bit about that. Does, like, how does that make you feel? Like this is, like you said, when you were kids, yeah. people made fun of it, and now it's like, man, to be South Korean now, it's like you're the coolest, <laughs> cool kids frickin, in town. So, uh, yeah, kids in town. It's yeah. like BTS. <laughs> uh, <I> yeah. <laughs>
3: So I'll, I'll tell you funny, like, funny story. I was I've been traveling a ton, and on the plane, this is one of those things that literally like it's almost like okay, I think we've made it because literally like I look at all the different movies, and they have a section just South Korean cinema, mm-hmm. and you have Minari, you'd have Rice Boy Sleep, I, and that uh, you don't want to watch that movie. Though. You're gonna speaking of Minari, like, month, like
2: made me weep. Yeah, I don't know if it, you had Rice a chance. Rice Boy Sleep is like it. a
3: whole other level where you're. It's gonna be. I was crying on the on the plane, but the point being is like. There's all of these different, to your point, like South Korean genres that are coming out. And it's not simply if it's with Games, if it's it's all these different, like, very humanized stories that somehow has made it to the mainstream. And I, I feel that about the Korean culture, which is so cool, not just with cinema, with food, with everything is, like, rising to the top. By way of this mainstream culture, you're well, having a moment. Yeah, like it South is. Korea yeah. is having a moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, beauty. Like you said, the models. I, I I don't know what her name is, but uh, you know the model. The one in Squid, Squid Game. Game. Yeah, she, she's gorgeous. Yeah, and she's like on top of the world right now. Yeah. she's getting these insane deals with you know. But but you know what's crazy? Like,
2: did you? I didn't feel beautiful growing up, right? So this idea of having our moment, I think, is really great. But I think it's this idea of how do we challenge sort of this conventional beauty that typically is is based on a power structure right now i'm getting deep alex i love it but i do think there is this like i didn't feel beautiful growing up so i do like these these this idea of a moment and i i like this idea of Um, representing um, the Korean culture versus like, I I think we're all sort of grouped into the Asians as being one monolithic group, which is so not true, which we know, right? And so I do think there's something about the Korean culture that is, I think there is a level of creativity. I I mean, I I think of this about most humans. Like I think if you're you're allowed to unleash your level of creativity and freedom to express yourself, I think it becomes a beautiful thing. But I think you almost need that level of momentum to keep going, right? So, so when you say there's that collective feeling of when I see see it, I can believe it. I do think that's what it's created. So as soon as you get this level of like, oh, Korean culture, this is like taking off. BTS is taking off, and Blackpink is taking off. I watched the Netflix documentary; very cool. But then it becomes like everything <clears throat> about the culture then feels like it's 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 a moment, right? And I do think that's important for us to see that in all cultures. But I'm I'm, I'm not gonna lie; I love the fact that. The Korean culture is experiencing well, that, right? But because to be
3: transparent and honest, like it, growing up Korean was difficult, right? So, like, gosh, I, I, it was I brutal. I don't think we ever thought to ourselves, "Wow, we're this is amazing to be Korean," because literally, like, like I said, like our our upbringing was like we were born in a very all-white neighborhood. I we moved to all-white neighborhood. I all my friends were white, and it, it's crazy because like literally, you you try your best not to represent the Korean right. culture, right? Yep. Which is and, and it's, it's terrible sad. to say now, it's very sad yeah. to say now, but this is one of those, like, everything has this passage of time associated with it, where you're like, okay, as you start to see all these different things pop up, whether it be cinema, whether it be food, whether it be beauty, like, it's great to see it, but that was never, like, our upbringing. Yeah, know? I and mean, never, you didn't
2: that. feel that way either, being Chinese, right? And yeah,
1: no, growing up, I think, um, Amina and I talked about it in our first episode, is that we were two a few Ethnic minorities, and.
2: which is crazy because Markham is very diverse, which now is lovely is. Now, now. But now it, was it wasn't is. was It, well, it yeah wasn't.
0: no. Haw- Markham was haw- known for like Hawkey. horses on on oh, on farms. Yeah, horses yeah. on farms, and it was a right. very Caucasian neighborhood. Yes. Alex and I and we went to elementary school together. We went to high school together, and we were, ve- you know, a minority for sure. Absolutely. For sure.
2: But how yeah. did you feel because? It it would have been tough too, and I think you kind of share the experience of being, you know. Honestly, I think as a as a person that's a minority as a female is very different from a male Asian um, persona, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I yeah I don't know anything about this, so I'd love no. to hear about. Well, that. it's well, well and we I think you up. you guys
2: remind me of each other a lot <laughs> yeah. because I do think you know Mina described you as being super athletic and. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the stereotypes, right, of of the yeah. Asian male, it's not necessarily grounded in being athletic and good at sports, right?
1: No, I think um I think growing up, and we're getting we're getting deep again. Yeah, right, is, yeah. Uh, I, I was I was kind of ashamed of my culture. Yeah, right. I, I felt I, that we, too. You know, we grew up with Caucasians. We we thought that we had to adhere to a culture that would per- we we couldn't really identify with. My mom and dad were. They were born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, and then they immigrated here and they started a new life for us in Canada. And bringing even lunches, we talked about this. Yeah, but like bringing a, a lunch, bring uh, it's called bus up shots and roti and curry. Mm. And we brought that, and we're trying to eat with our hands. We're like, oh, do we eat with a fork and knife,
0: or do I? But
2: did <sighs> but is that the reason why you guys connected, or because I think a
0: part of it was yeah, for sure. We yeah. were like the outcasts, yeah. And I also think. Culture recognizes culture, right? You're like, oh, you have a different culture. I can relate to that. I also bring different food. And I also, so yeah, yeah, I I think that was a part of it too. And, you know, I think immigrant parents raise you different than, you know, than Caucasian parents or American Canadian parents. Um, And I I think you realize that. But how is it different between a male and a female Asian growing up with prejudice? Like, how, what are the differences, you think?
2: So, I would say from an Asian female, there is a bit of a fetishization of an Asian female. In some ways, you could say that there's this level of um, putting us up in a pedestal of like, oh, this ideal feminine sort of mm-hmm. being. I think for men, I think, at least, so Pete, when yeah. he's saying he had to learn how to fight, I mean, you either have to learn how to fight or you're going to be and, – and you being sporty and athletic probably was a response to saying I'm going to f- push up against that stereotype of being, yep. you know, studious and keep my head down. And which <clears throat> isn't ideal for – when you think about the uh, sort of ideal masculine state, keeping your head down and just being studious and not causing problems, which is very typical of the Asian culture, is probably not the best way to respond to – the societal pressure that you feel as a man—does that make sense?
3: Oh, for sure it does. No, yeah,
2: like you learned how to fight very, and you were small. But, but. You didn't, you weren't big. As a kid, you were tiny.
3: Yeah, but let's be, let's be yeah. clear as well. Like so, so this is—I think this is what you're alluding to. Which let's I let's be clear with.
0: as well. I'm jacked.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jacked. I'm you can clear. tell that's what he was trying to say. I mean, I was like you, so I'm, <laughs> <angry about it>. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I
0: th-
3: I think I never had, literally, like the so your typical Asian male candidly, is like if you're successful, you're probably, because you're book smarts and you've you found right. a way to use your intelligence to, and I was more of a street rat. I was you like, were. I, Yeah, I was very much like street smarts, and I I just found a way to make th- things happen, make, make things work, but I was also, I, I, was, I just survived, right? So I got in fights all the time. I literally, like I remember, and this is a grade four, I remember flag football for some Particular reason, I was just, I picked up a football and was really, really good at it. And it was like, that was a moment where I, was, I became the fastest kid. I was like, so everyone looked at me still as the Chinese kid, though know, I wasn't Chinese, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I was a fast Chinese kid. Yeah, And it was crazy because it was like, but that was like the level up of me saying, okay, like from here on in this is my identity. I gotta just- And that's how you gain survive. acceptance, that's right. right? And, and yeah. I found that path where I, I remember, like I do remember like Asian, other Asian, you know, I wouldn't call them friends because we weren't friends. It's terrible to say, which is so bad. But other Asian boys that literally probably didn't have that ability to speak their mind or, or voice voice because there was no level or of quite frankly, even answer.
2: socialize in that in the That's spaces right. that you're socializing right. in, which is like so uncool, right? So,
3: but you have this absence of time where I think you grow out of it. So if you're in, if you're book smart, you're intelligent, and you're an Asian male, it's probably
2: boding well for you now in middle age, right? Get, Let's just say that. Well,
3: no, but you'll get to the point where. You might have a really difficult upbringing, but to your point, you make up become a doctor, you may be an academic, like you'll you'll do just fine. But you'll have that entire like absence of your, you know, adolescence, yeah. and you're like, okay, that was a really shitty life. That was really difficult for me to to yeah. fit in or whatever. So my point being is I struggled my entire life, but I found my way to to make it make ends meet, and I found my way to to succeed. So I think the point being is like I wasn't your typical Asian male, but I saw exactly the struggles that they all went through, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. this is, and I, I definitely see it. We can talk all day about this, oh, but I oh, see I it, it in like, I see it in the boardrooms. Yeah. I see it in the finance oh my community. Gosh. I see it in. And Think
2: about what, being though a female leader in those, b- a female Asian sure. leader and in those boardrooms.
3: Level of like,
2: yeah, but in some ways it's problems. great because. I surprise people because I'm like, I don't give a shit about what you're thinking, and I don't care, and I'm going to be not be... I. There's a level of me going in where I, I surprise people because I do think they expect me to be this Asian female of meek and keep my head down, hardworking, not expecting to, like, get credit for things, and, and I'm just not that, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think that's what I probably bring a little bit, and it's funny because, you know, Hugh Lawson. So Hugh yeah. Lawson, who... who um. Is this big black guy, ex CFL player? I think he did one year with the Argonauts, and I remember him saying, "It must be nice." He's like, because I'm always trying to make myself smaller in rooms because he's like six four, and and he's like, "But you're trying to make yourself bigger," and it's so true. At five one, I kind of go in and I'm like, and and, nice. and 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 yeah, and it's not um, it's not a facade, but it's just truly like I'm trying to make myself bigger in spaces. Whereas I think in in certain groups, like. Black, strong males are trying to make themselves smaller and less in- intimidating. And I do think there's this level of like how are we chasing? What are we chasing? What yeah. are we chasing? Are just chasing
0: like the average? Like, yeah, that's that's a crazy thing. It's like everybody wants almost what they what they don't have, but I do feel like it all goes back to like how you grew up, those insecurities yeah. that you grew up with. Like in high school I was afraid to talk to any girl that I found beautiful. I just, I just was like, I'm not good enough. I'm just like they, they want. And now the white you're guys.
2: like the actor, uh, and yeah. you're like, hey, <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: remember? <laughs> <laughs> no. But you, you know, it's 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 that thing. But it, yeah. it's interesting because you have to ask yourself, like, what are we all chasing? Like, yeah. you're chasing being bigger. He's chasing being smaller. smaller you're and,
2: chasing being seen, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think it's a. Uh, I think it's interesting. I remember reading an article by Tim Urban, um, and if you're not following Tim Urban, I I'm would I'm not follow. following
2: Tim, Tim uh, Urban. He, he's,
1: he's incredible. Um, has some in- amazing insights, but the point of the, me bringing him up is because he has an interesting story about finding your AV, your authentic voice. Your authentic voice mm. is a thing that you drown. Um, and yeah. Many of us drown it in different points of our lives. And I'm finding similarities between Mina's story, between Peter's story and Sophia's story, that you all have a beautiful, authentic voice, but you're so boisterous to achieve the success that you all have achieved. A lot of visible minorities are ashamed of it, are afraid That's of it. That's a very good point. And they shun it. Yeah. What have you done? Um, if you look inside, what have you done to shift that mindset? Because in a way, I, I'm struggling with that, too. Right. Like, right. yeah, what's what's the identity that I can you know, portray and personify. Like it's it's tough and there's just this confidence. I feel like everybody in front of me at this table has and I feel like there's a secret key that you guys and, uh, uh, so, I would love to learn more so about. So
2: part that. of, can I answer that? Yeah, and I think you sure. wanna answer, I can tell you wanna answer. So I think part of your authentic voice is not about putting on a facade, right? So it's not about being bombastic or being, being big in a room. I think it's up to us as leaders. So when we think about more leaders like us where very little representation and we're not seeing a lot of leaders like us in boardrooms or in more tables that we're surrounding ourselves with. I do think it's how do we recognize good successful leadership which isn't in the conventional form that we're seeing, right? Which is loud and wanting to get credit for work. And so I do think when you think about the early success stories that we're, we're breaking into, it's because we're able to do that, right? We're able to, we, we naturally have the personality to do that. But what I would say is there's space for the ones that are the quiet achievers. And how do we as leaders make space for that? Because I do think you need that level of there's so many good people that are able to do amazing work and lead teams quietly but don't necessarily want to be the ones that are pounding their fist on the table and asking for attention and space right so i do think there's how do we create that that di- d- that dynamic of pa- power looks different right it's not just about outwardly showing this this you know making yourself bigger and 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 feeling like you're 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 Posturing, but it's about authentically living your best self, right? Because when you think about people that are the most successful, it's they're 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 fully themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the space and finding. Spaces where being fully yourself is accepted and you can be you can thrive and be successful in that So I know it's very simplistic But I absolutely believe that because I do think if we're telling people oh, you need to be like us You need to drop drop your engineering degree and go and go follow acting I don't know if that's the path that everybody wants to follow right Mm -hmm. and I or it's that's huge risks And I I think it's a special personality to do that. I think being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody and being you know Coming into a room and not giving a shit is in a boardroom is probably not for everybody. How do you allow people and change this narrative of what power looks like? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah do you guys does. feel that way? Peter I, I, doesn't. I, no, I know I'm so do. <laughs> yeah.
3: I just think taking a different take on it is that you just don't. It's funny. Actually, you mentioned this topic, but it's so it is so topical because I'm doing a panel talk I think next month on. The theme is like so it's basically a minority group, so only minorities in a room in this very much this kind of round table discussion, but it it's the topic of death and like what death related to your background, death related to your ethnicity, death related to like what you've what you've kind of grown up with and my topic was is about death and dying basically without achieving your authentic voice, which is crazy that you mentioned that because like yeah. it it's it literally is like, and we use our our father as an as I use my dad as an analogy, which is basically, I th- he's eighty five, and I think it's just so sad, and I, I I do get very emotional about this. I think he's going to wake up or pass away, one day with the whole thought process of like feeling like he didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve. Yeah, and I think I would love to just tell him that like you've achieved everything because you sacrificed everything so we can have a life, but he didn't have a voice. He didn't have, he never achieved what he wanted to achieve. So the whole premise being is like, it comes with time where you are going to establish your voice, but it has to come with time. So I'll give you a direct example. Like literally five startups, four exits, the last two exits were in 2018, 2019. Candidly, I was sitting on more money than I ever had because I had two back-to-back exits. and call it karma or serendipity. This is like right before COVID hit. So I got, you got to be lucky to be good many times as an (laughs) entrepreneur. But literally I went through six months after selling the two companies of probably the deepest depression I've ever, ever went through. And literally everyone's like, they don't, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Um, I couldn't really explain it. And what I realized is because everything I was going through the motions of just chasing, 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 which was basically, I just wanted to prove myself as an entrepreneur worthy worthy, yeah, Yeah. as an Asian male that probably like had to get out of the stereotype. But the reality is I never really achieved what I I really wanted to, which is like having my own voice and telling my own story and doing my own passion project and feeling like I was, I was worthy because I never, I never really was. I was just going through the motions and I was that aggressive like kid that was like, you know, sporting, you know, competitive, athletic. And I just like, I bull rushed my way to success. And but I do
2: think like that part of the depression came when you thought that what everyone tells you should make you happy. Right? So you've had all of the monetary success that you wanted. People looked up up to you. You had people that wanted your attention and to sit to sit on certain boards and conferences and you're like, oh, but I'm not happy. I haven't found myself. Not, not only wasn't I
3: wasn't happy, I felt and this is not the term. This is not the right term by way of imposter syndrome. But I felt like almost like a different type of imposter syndrome, where I literally felt like I achieved everything, and if everyone thought I achieved everything, I should be happy. And this is like, this is like the time I retire and just chill out. And I just I felt empty. I felt crazy empty. And literally, it's been only in the past two years, and I'm turning fifty like literally the next month. So this wow. is like the past two years where I just realized, or three years. No, actually, it's two years because. I just started to tell my story and my background where I never told my background. I never, I'm I was, I'm not on social media. I never have been on social media. I don't like putting myself out there. Mm. I've been very reluctant to do that. Um, I just started doing it two years ago and I'm not, still not comfortable with it at all.
2: But you told your background, but, not in a way of talking about your success the way people in social media do, but you told your ba- background in the way of exactly what you just described. I was depressed. Yeah, feeling. I I felt like I needed. I needed more. I didn't feel like I could share the fact that I I always felt like this little skinny Asian kid that never was accepted. But I had to make my way through. So it's Mm -hmm. it's how do you actually showcase parts of? Because I do think the moment that you actually almost talk about things that you're embarrassed by, the power the power of that goes away Mm -hmm. and the shame of that goes away. And so then it's like, oh, okay. So like you know all the shitty things about me. And so. It, it is what it is. But and it just I'm now. Takes a, time. Oh, it does when, take when, time. When, when and so you're, then you're you able about, to be yourself, though. Yeah. Like if you say, I'm going to like bear everything and then I have nothing to hide. And so then it's like there's a power in that. But it does take time and it takes a level. Of, I mean, we're speaking from a level of being in our 50s, right? Which is very different from, I think, I. I assume you guys seem really young. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's either really yeah, good skin. It's really no good skincare, skin or it's you, you're very young. I'm turning fifty <laughs>
0: <laughs> But I, nah.
2: right. So I do think like keep in mind that is yeah. is the moment that you understand that this is just what the life your life journey, and not put pressure on yourself mm-hmm. to kind of get there. But I do think you have to get to a place of like saying to yourself, "I'm gonna show up as myself in every space I enter." and yep. the moment that you can do that is the moment that and you're going to find pretty soon like people will be like yeah no I don't like Alex the way he's authentically himself then you're like okay I know I know I need to move on mm-hmm. but you'll find the space where people are going to be like I like this Alex this Alex is pretty effing cool and mm-hmm. that's where you're going to flourish and be yourself and that's where you should and then you're going to start feeling all the stuff that you should feel with that comes with su- success that's outside of the money or superficially the title and all of the stuff that we think is going to make you happy.
3: And, and that's the crazy part about yeah. it. Yeah. Starting companies and entrepreneurship and risking a lot of stuff, that came easy to me. It wasn't, that was never a big deal. It was putting myself out there and having a voice and almost and just being, showing
2: up as yourself. Well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being yeah. not
3: your typical like aggressive dude in a boardroom that just found a way to make it work. Like literally outside of that, telling my own human story. That was by far the most challenging, and thing probably ever. like the
2: by most far. difficult for you <laughs> yeah, to do, no right? Question. I there's remember no you struggling with that, right? Yeah. So, it's, I still so
0: do. Peter, you you know you've obviously had these successful exits, but you said that you went into—is it fair to say—probably the most depression you'd felt in your life, or, or close to it?
3: Um, without question, yeah, really yeah. Dar- a really dark place. And yeah.
0: how'd you get yourself? Out of that mm. was it your question, was it yeah. your entrepreneurial like spirit of like I'm gonna get myself out of this or, or what was it because I, I talk about this too but I went to a dark <clears> place <throat> right. after Aladdin as well and it took me a couple of years to get myself out of it too um, but I'm interested to see, how did you get yourself out of it especially at at 48 50 yeah. because <clears throat> you because you know who you are and, and you're confident in who you are how'd you get yourself out of that so
3: it's funny I would even go You mean, rewind it back a little bit further in terms of it was a dark place, but it was also a dark place that was very lonely. Meaning like, I'm okay to talk to people about like the struggles I'm having. I've always been okay with it, especially the kind of a close knit group. But the challenge with it is when you talk to people about levels of depression when you've made it, so to speak.
2: They're
0: like, what the hell do you
3: have to Yeah, and and you probably felt that, right? right, Your circle of influence and circle of like trust or circle of like friendship, it didn't diminish or didn't get smaller to the extent of like, they voluntarily said, I don't know what you're talking about, Peter, but it was just very, I just felt it. I felt like they, me telling them that it's like, okay, you, I'm about to go to work literally for the like 10 hours straight right now. And dude, like, and I'm I like struggling it, to pay the bills yeah, I get and what you're saying, but I kind of really care. I don't really get what you're saying and keep talking to me about it. But like literally it, not that there was only, me but I felt that right. So that's why it almost took that another level of like sadness and depression even further where I'm like, I just gotta figure this out myself. And it's funny, I actually. But you did,
2: but you went to therapy. I did. Yeah. Went to
3: therapy, but then then you found kind of an inner circle group that literally just got it. And it it wasn't a big group. It was, you know, my wife, Cindy, like, God bless her, because, like, she was always there. She never deviated, and she'd be the one just listening and be very patient about it. Um, But the point being is that those who got it were very supportive. They understood. Uh, But how I got myself out of it was I just, this is kind of where, Alex, to your question or to your comment, that's when i just realized okay what was the other purpose and meaning that i had to like what was missing in my life that i had to figure out and that was like me doing all these different entrepreneurial things being driven by money by dream being driven by success it's fleeting it really is like so for me i'm not i've and we talked about this i'm not driven by money at all in any way shape or form for me it's like i i'm at a point right now where i just really really want. To, it sounds cliche. and sounds like the next chapter of life where you just want to help other people. You want to do something that's meaningful and passion. That passion I do to think attract. it's
2: important to get out of yourself, right? Like the moment that you're not focused on yourself anymore yeah. is the moment that I think you can do good good work, right? Yeah, and and, so, and, then, and yeah. then
3: be comfortable talking about it very authentically where it's not. That's the one thing I think I'm proud. I'm very proud of and I think I'm doing you know a pretty good job of is like I, I'm not being self-promotional. and am putting myself out there to the extent of like. I'm I'm trying to just do it for my own purpose. I'm doing it because I know what I'm doing. It has a greater good. It has a greater purpose to it. So for me, it's like finding that voice where I'm okay to talk about it, and then finding mm. a voice where I'm I'm I can be unabashedly promotional about what I'm doing because I'm proud of what I'm doing. That's very very hard to do because it's it's almost like they, there's an at, like there's a gap between them that sometimes is too deep. Or if you're not confident enough, some people are crazy self promotional and they're totally okay with it. Other people do not
2: I feel like I wanna name wanna name, name names. No, 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 no.
3: No. no God, you I'm name names, but no, but the point being is like if you have the ability yeah. to have both those balances and be proud of what you're doing, yeah. then you have to get your voice out there. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of Alex to your point is like you've gotta yeah. figure out a way what what is it that's gonna trigger you to get your voice mm. out there.
2: And, and surround yourself with people that you can you can feel like you can fully practice being yourself with, right? Yeah. And sharing all that.
1: I love that.
0: I love Yeah, you you said something important Peter that mm. I think is important for everybody to remember no matter who they are, where they are in life. And I've felt this before too, several times in my life. I'm sure you have too. All of us have. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're all alone and nobody understands where you're coming from. Because people will always put excuses of like what do you have to complain about? Like you, you just yeah. had a billion dollar movie. Like what do you have to complain about? Like yeah, you Mina, just
3: your your story is like
2: crazy.
3: No, no,
0: no, no. But Mina, public, I, th- public, th- uh, yeah, uh, I think yeah, I
2: think Mina, I think your story yeah. is really hard for people to understand because I do think we as a society celebrate stardom and celebrity and all that stuff, and so it must have felt very lonely because I because nobody they're like, dude, I have no time to hear you complain. Yeah, right, exactly.
0: And I think that's my point is that, you know, no matter where you are in life, who you are, what kind of success you've had, everybody should understand that we're all human at the end of the day and we all go through the same kinds of ups and downs of emotions. We all have high highs and low lows and we all feel like we're alone and misunderstood we we all feel that stuff. Money is a it's it's like it's so it's, it's a for it's just fairy dust. And like Matthew McConaughey. But you says, know, but you know that people
2: will say it's because you have money that yeah, you're saying that. And, and, but people, but, but for yeah. me in my yeah. case,
0: it's not true. I mean, I it, it's not true. I, you know, I'm not a multi-millionaire by any means. So, but that's the thing. That's exactly my point. It Doesn't matter what people think. Yeah, people will always think like like. As soon as Aladdin happened, people thought, "Oh, he's a multimillionaire!" He's made it, like yeah. people he's went made up to it. my yeah. sisters yeah. Yeah. And, and they That's were like, money. "Man, Mina must be like, he must be right. doing good. <laughs> he's made a lot of money." And I, it was like, no, like, uh, not not at all. But I think the lesson is that be wary of being envious of other people because you never know what they're going through, and even when you get to where they are you will realize that it's your own journey. You you have, you know, it's not all perfect. It's not all perfect no matter where you are. Um, and,
2: and it's so- also being wary of those highs, right? Like, you know, when you cling on to the, the highs and you believe that, oh my God, I'm deserving of this. Like, I think that's like, not only of people looking at other successful people, but being when you're in that, moment of like, whether you're in your groove, and you're like, this is amazing, and I'm going to stay in this forever. You're not, you're not going to stay in that forever, you're going to come down. And that's okay, too. But I think that's where like, so clearly, you didn't believe Oh, my God, I'm the greatest actor of all time. And I'm a Canadian treasure. (laughs) You were literally like, clearly kind of trying to like people were putting all of this, these expectations on you. And it was like, you didn't believe it. And so I think not believing is is a good thing because to hold on to something that is so external and has nothing to do with you is probably the best thing is not to hold on to that right. Yeah. And be wary of that. And I, yeah, I, this is yeah. amazing because yeah. we
0: we talk you know we 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 talk about all of this absolutely um, in our other episodes as well. This is something that comes up over and over again. So yeah. you know, okay. I, I appreciate. Yeah,
1: that. and I and I want to mention just one more thing, and I know we're coming up to time here. Yeah. but one thing is. If there's anything that I've summarized and taken away from just listening to this amazing conversation, I think that everybody at different points of their life have a different measuring stick for success and happiness when you're, when we're in high school, what's our measuring stick for happiness? Be cool. Right? Yeah, you get, know, the, get right? the hot girls. Get the hot girls, <laughs> guys, yeah. whoever it is, right? Make it to the basketball team. Don't yeah. get cut. Don't get cut. Don't come last place and try. <laughs> Don't piss off my mom and dad for not doing calculus. <laughs> and then you evolve to this other part of your life, university, right? It's uh, what's my measure? What's my measure meant for happiness? It's. It's getting a three and a 4.0 GPA and getting the job my dreams and now it's always changing and so I think the dangerous game that I've heard many of us play here is we've looked at somebody else's measuring stick for happiness and the external validation that sometimes I've chased is you know um, do XYZ and you will impress everybody that will show them and then we're all trying to figure out who's them (laughs) Who, who, who is them who are we is it mom and dad.
2: (laughs) <laughs> is it ourselves, right.
1: so it's just I think it's fascinating to hear everybody's journeys here, but at the end of the day, I think we're all it's very cyclical, right? you know yeah. you're gonna have some highs, some lows some but we're all figuring it out on the way yeah. so which brings me to to you know a, a question I have and last question i think uh it's a profound question that you know knowing what you guys know now is like the one piece of advice like dear Peter, dear Sophia, you're you're breaking into the industry, maybe you're graduating, maybe you're in high school. What's like something you would have told yourself? You pat yourself on the back um, and you would have told a younger version of yourself. Oh, wow. Well, um,
3: uh, I don't know because everything is like hindsight. So you can say you can change things. But I think the biggest thing for me would have been literally trying to be something you're not all the time. So I, I literally try to s- stand up and be, you know, some, someone that I wasn't relative to just try and get out of my comfort zone. I was never really comfortable with it. So being, having, like I said, like I grew up with all Caucasian friends. So for me, it was always consistently trying to be white like them and try not to embrace my culture or try not to talk about the fact that I didn't You know, it wasn't, I didn't have what they had, right? So it was, I did did it consistently nonstop, right? Where it was like, I wouldn't say it was a matter of shame, but it might've been shame. It might've been, right? So it might've been the fact that you just didn't, you always were comparing consistently and you realize pretty quickly that just gets really exhaustive. And quite honestly, in this, in your later years in life, it probably is triggering in a way where probably you you, you go back and you think to yourself okay why did i do that like, like it took me literally like 45 46 years and this goes back to the authentic voice to realize okay now that really mattered right and mm-hmm. mind you it got me to where i'm got got to now but it's almost like 45 years or 46 years of my life i'm like okay that was just exhausting to try to be something you're not all the time right so um yeah now i go back to the fact that I think I'm at a really comfortable spot in my life and I can have a I do have a voice. And yeah, going back to the kind of this next this kind of roundtable talk I'm doing is I'm so happy I found it because I guarantee you, and I don't want to use our dad as kind of the example, but there's certain individuals that like you're gonna die and then realize your biggest regret is that you didn't do something that where you had your authentic voice out there and you spoke the truth and your truth, right? And that's that was one of the things that took me, like I said, forty-five years to figure that out.
0: What do you I think know. that was for your dad? Like what do you think he would have done or gone after if if he would have
3: He was just very he was just very risk adverse, right? So so this this is the funny thing. When I talk about not being money driven, the one thing I do know that I've taken from him unequivocally is he's not money driven, neither am I. He's Protection-driven, I meaning like he just wants—he wants to make sure his loved ones yeah. and his entire world is safe. And so he wants. He, so his happiest moments. It's, it's funny. Like he's at—he's at a point right now yeah. where, and we we get so frustrated by him because he always talks about. It. He's like, "I'm ready to go." He's eighty-five. He's like, "I'm ready to die." He's like, "I'm ready to go." It's, I'm close. Can I I'm tell really you how close. irritating that is? And he, yeah, and he <laughs> yeah. And he lives one hundred and ten. Very like, morbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he will. will. He will. Like, oh shit! I'm like, I'm still alive, but. He is, he literally is, but it's funny because we kind of came to this realization. I actually don't think it's a matter of him really wanting to go, but he's, he's now at a point in his life where everything is perfect. Literally his, his kids are financially, completely financially sound. Everyone's healthy. All the, all the grandkids are doing well. They just sold their house. So they're sitting on some money that they can give like, and that's, that's his big thing. He just wants to give. Albeit it's not a ton of money but he just wants to give money to us he wants to give his inheritance to us so for him it's like he's at a point in his life where everything is just safe and secure and happy so for him it's like he's okay to go and very similar to myself it's like that's kind of how I feel about money I don't have a relationship with money financially and monetarily it's it's more the security of making sure people around me are taken care of and there's a safe and everyone's safe and, and I'm just happy and I don't have to worry about the financial stresses of of what money provides or chasing something or, or just worrying about like, how do you live on a day by day basis? So I think from his perspective, he he, he achieved that. It took him a long time to achieve that level of like, like security and safety. But also the other side of it is like, and I relate it back to, you know, that day when I saw him put on a suit and go to this conference, I feel like he really wishes he did more with his career and more with his life. And because he, he left Korea with a pretty like his his dad came for money right we never met a grandfather but he came from money he came here to start a better life with the family from a westernized perspective um, but i think it was a struggle for him because he thought it would be very easy to pick up and live the same life he lived in korea here didn't do that so now 80 years 85 years has passed and now he's at he, he's his level of happiness is settling
0: for just that safety net but i would i would bet that whatever you feel like he didn't maybe uh, achieve he achieved through you guys i mean look at you guys you guys i bet make him so freaking proud and you know what he sacrificed for you but you made up for it that's the thing and i think you've you know, you've probably made him so proud. More we proud we tell you them know. that.
3: We tell them that, like literally, look what you have, look what you've created. But he is
2: really proud of us, right? Oh, and for sure. That, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, yeah. when we
3: try to give him, like literally, his flowers and my mom's flowers. They say, look what you've created. Like, look at the seven grandkids you created. Look at every one of them in university. Look at every one of them, literally starting their own careers. It's crazy, right? So it's like that. That all came from literally Bergamon Avenue in Rexdale, where we lived in community housing, they didn't speak a lick of English. And I remember the racist, yeah, like really crazy mm-hmm. racist, you know, things that happened to, my, to our family, specifically to them, that it just transcended. For, so for them, it's like scars that they just carry forward, carry forward, carry forward. And now, admittedly, like our kids will never see that. Not that they're never gonna see it, obviously racism exists, whether microaggressions or whatever the case might be, but they're never gonna feel it the way like my parents felt and the way I felt it, yeah. right? So it was like, to your point, sacrifices is with the passage of time, the one generation sacrifices the next, which. Ultimately, paves the way for the third one that has no idea about what they said, what the yeah. struggles they went
0: through. Yeah, but your parents did that th- themselves; like they they did it, they did it alone. Sophia, what would you yeah. tell your younger self?
2: I had time to think about it. Just so you know, so thanks for being oh. long- <laughs> thanks for being long <laughs> winded, go. Peter. I appreciate that. Um, the two pieces pieces of advice I would give is. I'm not afraid of change at all. Um, I've moved to your point. I moved to I've lived in many different countries. I'm okay with starting over. And so I do think change is inevitable. I, and so I think embracing that and not being so tied or married to what the present moment, means, right? So it's the idea of ups and downs and, and and the highs and lows and the beautiful and painful moments and accepting that. So I do think that as humans, we need to accept because the moment you can kind of lean in and soften with that is the moment that you'll be able to kind of withstand and then you come out stronger, right? So that's corny and so true. And then the second piece is being okay with being an outlier, right? So I do think there is this collective story around this table of us feeling which I do think is more the human condition of not feeling accepted and good enough and, 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 um, And showing up in the best way possible and i do think the moment i kind of said okay i'm okay with being not accepted and not in the inner circle of what the wherever whoever they are Mm -hmm. and not being accepted accepted by them i'm i'm okay with and i do think there's a power in that because then you operate in a space of okay so screw it i'm not going to be fully accepted in the way i am so i'm just going to come in as myself and then whatever happens will will happen right and i think being an outlier and accepting change is like hugely important in any oh. in any form that you wanna show up in, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you hear to hear folks. It's be an outlier. Yeah. Um, it's be acceptance to change. It's find your authentic voice. Yeah. These are incredible nuggets you can't find anywhere else, right, Mina? I feel
2: like you could though. <laughs> <laughs> like really, I feel like you could. Just
0: Google Go it. You'll find it.
2: <laughs> You'll find it. Yeah,
0: no, but I I think the point is that, you know, the point of this podcast and the point of having you guys here is yes, you can Google it. You can hear Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all those guys talk about it, but you guys are real life examples of people who have worked their whole life fought never given up uh you know taken advantage of every opportunity you've been given and created something incredible for yourselves and your families and everyone out there should know that no matter who you are where you come from what your history is that if you work hard if you just try to figure out who you are deep down inside yeah and you follow your passion, that you too can find success. You can do it, you can create the life for yourself that you wanna create. And once you create it, you will ask why, you will question it, mm-hmm. you will be depressed, you will be sad, and you'll have to get yourself back up and do it all over again, <laughs> and that's the whole damn point. It's never, it's never perfect. No. You're always working towards something, and then reevaluating, and then working towards something else. So just embrace where you are in life. Just embrace it, and and embrace the, the positives with the negatives, yeah. the highs with the lows, and that's life, man. <laughs> that's what I got out of this. Yeah,
1: I know. Well, this is amazing, and thank you both so much for for taking the time to to share your stories, for sharing your struggles. Um, I feel like I learned so much more about you too and and your stories. And I feel like everybody who was listening to this found, you know, a nugget or something that they can apply and they can enact in their own lives. So I think that you've inspired many, you've inspired the two here uh, on the table. So thank you so much for being on the show. Um, hopefully we can get you guys on another episode.
0: Yeah, and Peter's either. not gonna stop doing these. I feel it. You're gonna yeah. uh, go over the this. round tables yeah. podcasts. <laughs> Thanks for having us, guys.
2: Thanks for it's having awesome. us. So yeah, I appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thanks for
0: tuning in and listening. Please subscribe, share, and join the journey of growth untold. Don't miss a single nugget. Hit that follow button now on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram.